Love this podcast? Support this show through the Acast Supporter feature. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hiring for your small business? If you're not looking for professionals on LinkedIn, you're looking in the wrong place. That's like looking for your car keys in a fish tank. LinkedIn helps you hire professionals you can't find anywhere else. Even those who aren't actively searching for a new job but might be open to the perfect role. In a given month, over 70% of LinkedIn users don't even visit other leading job sites. So start looking in the right place. With LinkedIn, you can hire professionals like a professional. Post your free job on linkedin.com/people today. Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is PlushCare. PlushCare is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Greetings and welcome to the Future Entertainment Show 1993. This is Under Consultation, an episode-by-episode podcast guide through the UK's greatest video game challenge TV show, Games Master. I am one of your hosts, Luke Owen, coming to you live from said Future Entertainment Show. And coming to you status unknown from said Future Entertainment Show, I am Ash Versus, and it's pronounced UBISOP. this episode oh we'll get to that this episode aired on the 11th of november 1993 meatloaf is still top of the pops with i would do anything for love brackets but i won't do that but we've got a new number one at the top of the box office it's dave hail to the chief he's the one we all say hail to dave kovic was an ordinary guy mr kovic your government needs your help who just happened to look like the president you're a very handsome man Thank you, Mr. President. Just get rid of the grin. You look like a schmuck. Dave, something has happened to the president. What about the vice president? The vice president is mentally unbalanced. Is this legal? Oh, yeah. Probably. We think so. Yes. Suddenly, Dave has a great job. I can't tell you the whole story. It's kind of a national emergency kind of thing, but you got to help me cut the budget a little. You got to cut the budget. He has a great house. Do I need to dial nine? Who does these books? I mean, if I ran my business this way, I'd I'd be out of business. And he has a great wife. Why can't you die from a stroke like everybody else? She hates me. Yes. And the amazing thing is, everyone loves him. God bless you. God bless America! President Mitchell lately, huh? Has this guy been having too many Happy Meals for lunch or what? Kevin Klein, the Academy Award-winning star of A Fish Called One. I once caught a fish this big. Sigourney Weaver. I'm talking to you. Will you please turn around? You know, if you want to be the same old selfish... Um... From Ivan Wright, the director of Ghostbusters, Twins, and Kindergarten Cop. Before we get started, uh, a couple things I'd like to go over in the budget. Mr. President, 
Yes? I'm gonna kill him. You can't kill a president. He's not a president. He's an ordinary person. I can kill an ordinary person. It is tangentially Ghostbusters related, so I guess we'll go with that. <laughs> yeah, we've got Ivan Reitman uh, behind the director's camera, so I guess so. And Sigourney Weaver in front of the camera, mm-hmm. primarily yeah, yeah. brought in to play the role because of Ivan's experience with her on Ghostbusters. So I have not seen Dave in a long, long time. But essentially what we've got here is the whole lookalike kind of shtick, wherein someone looks a lot like the president in the case of this movie, to the point where they actually make a side living doing impressions and public appearances as a president impersonator, and is originally brought in to cover up for an affair, I think... Mm. I, I'll be honest, I have not seen this film. Oof. I, I actually, I'm not even sure if I have seen this film. I'm almost certain I have. But I have such little memory of it, I don't know if I've just made that up. It's not a horrifically original movie. The premise of Lookalike standing in is, it's a trope, even at this point. Not so much with presidents, but with other things, it's a trope. And in fact, because you've just heard the trailer that Luke has inserted into the episode after we've recorded it, you will have a better idea of how accurate my recollection of the plot actually is. (laughs) So the titular Dave is called in originally to cover for the president's affair. Then the president becomes ill and Dave suddenly has to step up for more than just covering for a little bit of White House scandal. And this is 1994... So this is kind of foreshadowing a bit on Mm -hmm. some of the stuff that would be happening in the White House a bit later on. However, Dave begins to get a bit of a taste for power. And also Dave is much more enthusiastic than the person he's impersonating. Also, the wife of the person he's impersonating likes Dave a lot more. And so ratings polls start to turn around. But Dave starts to go against the party line. Shenanigans ensue. Normally, I've got the Wikipedia plot on the iPad in front of me, but as Luke can attest, my eyes have been locked straight ahead at the Google screen throughout all of this. So I will probably come to this in a week or so's time to edit it. And when I'm fact-checking it, kind of bite my fist and go, oh God, I've got so much work (laughs) to do to make this make sense. And whether I do or not, you'll never know. But in addition to Sigourney Weaver in front of the camera and Ivan Reitman behind the camera, and this is where I do actually start using the iPad, we've also got Kevin Klein, Frank Langella, without the skeletal makeup, Kevin Dunn, Ving Rames, Charles Grodin, and Ben Kingsley all appearing in supporting roles. Man, we talked about True Romance a couple of weeks back having a cast. Very different type of film, but this is a cast. Absolutely, yeah. And there's like Laura Linney's in there, uh, Stephen Root, Bonnie Hunt. Like, this has got a really good cast behind this. And like, but like, it's also about the cameos and like, you know, actual sort of media personalities that appear in the show as well. Like, it's they've got actual like real life senators and things like that in the movie to be like the hey, folks, applause. It's kind of like to call it back to Ghostbusters, a film we've both seen many, many times. The real world people that appear in there. 
the news presenters Larry King, Casey Kasem on the radio. To, to establish that we are in the real world. Exactly. That this is a real world event. Like Larry King in Ghostbusters isn't there to be like, hey guys, look, it's Larry King. It's to be like, no, 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 the Ghostbusters are gaining a lot of popularity and their business is really taking off. So they're being interviewed by Larry King because of course in the real world, they're going to be interviewed by Larry King. It's very much showing that they exist in our world Mm -hmm. rather than when it goes the other way. And sometimes when you get people in maybe Marvel movies or big spectacle movies, it's like, oh, look, Larry King's in the Marvel universe or something along those lines. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Now, while Kevin Klein was hired to play Dave and the person he was doppelganging for, originally Warner Brothers wanted someone that was a bit more of a box office draw to portray the lead role. Do you want to try and guess which early to mid-90s big box office draws Warner Brothers suggested for the role? Well, I think I actually know who it is, because I believe it's Schwarzenegger, right? Schwarzenegger was one of them. There were two others. Hmm. Two others. Um, I mean, you would have thought that Keaton would have been one of them. You'd have thought that uh, Douglas would be one of them. You'd have thought that... Costner would have been one of them. The first one you've got, Kevin Costner was considered. Oh, yeah. Who was the other one then? Warren Beatty. All right, so Dick Tracy's already been out, hasn't it? So is that a Dick Tracy? Like off the back of Dick Tracy was a bit of a hit. So put Warren Beatty in the movie. I mean, Dick Tracy was a hit commercially. Yeah, like it, it was a hit. Critically? Yeah, but that doesn't matter though, does it? Like it's all about the box office bunts at the end of the day. I don't know. Studios can be weird. It depends whether they think they're going to need the critics on side to make a film a success. Now, something big and cartoony like a Dick Tracy or like a Batman or whatever, the property will sell itself. But here, we don't have a brand name. We have Dave. Mm -hmm. Probably one of the most generically titled movies (laughs) I can even think of. So I wonder, would they have taken a risk on BT after Dick Tracy, which did get a bit of a critical mauling from some quarters, when with this one, they're thinking, we might need the critics on side for this one to get it off the ground, to get it into people's line of sight. I, I do get what you're saying. Like When I've spoken to people within the, the industry, you know, when I was, I was interviewing with my book, like I, my sort of take on... Hollywood's opinion on reviews and critics and journalists is essentially if they're saying nice things, then critics are the best thing in the world. But if they're not saying nice things, then no one cares what critics have to say. That seems fair. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like you know, hey, this film got great reviews. We need to talk about that and talk it up as much as possible. This film got bad reviews. Nah, critics don't know what they're talking about. Critics' opinion doesn't actually matter. I like enough bad movies. I struggle to actually disagree with that. Yeah, absolutely. This film did take a while to get before the lens. It was first mooted in 1988. And the writer Gary Ross wrote this script while he was working on an actual presidential campaign. He was working on the campaign for Michael Dukakis and he wrote the script while it was going on. But he was also waiting for the producer he wanted to work with, Shula Donna, to be released from her contract and for Ivan Reitman himself to become available. So this was very much a waiting game to get the people he wanted to work with on this film. Mm. Now, surprisingly, for a film of this type, it did actually cost nearly $30 million. That feels quite high, maybe in part because of the cast and also all the personalities that appeared in it, including some people 
that were up for the role. You mentioned Schwarzenegger. He appeared in the film. But on that near $30 million budget, it did make it back twice over. It took in $63 million domestic at the box office. And they needn't have worried because the critics were on side. Even Roger Ebert, that miserable shit of the Chicago Sun-Times, gave it three and a half stars out of four. That's almost an Oscar by his review standards. Absolutely, yeah. Ross was nominated for an Academy Award for his screenplay. Klein got nominated for a Golden Globe. And one award that was received was Charles Grodin got an American Comedy Award for Funniest Supporting Actor. Also, Bill Clinton approved of the film. <laughs> well, I mean, that's the endorsement. That's, that's all the endorsement you need. Yeah, he apparently autographed a copy of Ross's script for him, writing that it was a funny, often accurate lampooning of politics. I suppose if you're working on the political trail, then you probably get to see like the, the real inner workings of a, a sort of political system as opposed to just writing from what you've heard. Yeah, I mean, and also, Luke, the concept of a president's handlers trying to cover up extramarital <laughs> affairs, crazy, would never happen. Not under the Clinton administration. Absolutely not, no. That actually comes up in our timeline, I think. <laughs> it really it must does. Have to, yeah. <laughs> it's going to be difficult not to touch on that multiple yeah. times because that wasn't just current affairs that was almost pop culture oh yeah everyone was talking about it. like everyone was making jokes about it like animaniacs would make a joke about it well we've got a couple of releases to talk about this week one big one not so much the, the not so much as holiday lemmings gets released uh, on uh, ms dos but the big release, and we're going to see a different version of it in this episode, Aladdin on the Mega Drive gets its release. The SNES one, uh, which is Capcom's Aladdin, won't be out until November 21st. Although, it does, as I said, it does get featured in this episode, but the Mega Drive one, which, as we all know, is the vastly superior version, got its release this week. Now, we could argue about Mega Drive versus SNES versions of Aladdin, and we could have some crossed words, and realistically, after the entire music thing a few weeks back, nothing would shock me anymore. My only real issue with the Mega Drive Aladdin is the fact that he carries a sword as a main weapon. Now, mm -hmm. in the actual film, Aladdin doesn't. He only waves a sword once and is disarmed immediately because he's a Disney hero. And for a game that moved and flowed and had Disney involved in the animation as much as Aladdin and arguably followed the plot better than the SNES version, which is the version I grew up with, I'm amazed they did that. And mm. it's a strange thing to drag me out of a game playing it now. But I do play it and I do go, Aladdin didn't run around with a sword. I've honestly never even thought about it. You're absolutely right. But I've never even thought about that. I see, always thinking, always thinking of accuracy to the property, Luke. The music is fantastic, though. Uh, the other thing I did want to note before we get into the magazine, I thought it was interesting to note that on November 16th, 1993, Sony Interactive Entertainment was officially founded. Man, that is the breaking of some new ground there. Isn't it just? Anyway, that's enough of that. Uh, what's going on in the magazines? Because I think we've got a bit of a big interview this week. We do. We have an interview with the lad himself, Dexter Fletcher, the man of the hour, the man who shouts, Games Master, and the man who is going to be doing something that Dominic Diamond had not done during his tenure on the show. He's going to be broadcasting live. Mm-hmm. 
But the article starts with a little bit of a background about Dexter Fletcher. He's 27 years old at this point, and I tell you what, he doesn't look it. I'd have I'd have said early to mid-20s. Even with the scruff around his face, he's very youthful and wiry. I guess that's yeah. why he ended up playing a teenager in Press Gang, because he could get away with it. But he had an illustrious start to his career. He was playing the son of Diana Dawes in the film Steptoe and Son Ride Again. Instant classic, Luke. Absolute instant classic. And also was, along with every other child actor in Britain, in Alan Parker's Bugsy Malone. Mm-hmm. I once was nearly in a stage production of Bugsy Malone. I can't remember the last time I watched it, but I do know that the song Give a Little Love is always hovering in my favourited Spotify. There's a couple of different <laughs> versions of it, but I do like that song. It's just mm. such a fun song and it builds up nicely. And yeah, great, great. It is actually a great film. I just, perhaps I should watch it again sometime soon or just listen to the song. But in his teens, he managed to get a part in The Bounty alongside Mel Gibson and Anthony Hopkins. He was the youngest permanent member of the Royal Shakespeare Company. However, he's probably best known for his role as Spike in the Channel 4 children's series press gang? I think they mean ITV. In fact, I don't think they mean ITV. I know they mean (laughs) ITV. Press gang, immensely popular series at the time, still popular today, also looks great because ITV was so taken with the premise... They gave them a £2 million budget to make this, which was way out there for a children's TV show, but meant they could film on film. No video Mm. production. This series was made on 16mm, and when you go back and you look at the DVD transfers, it looks great. It's really nicely put together. But they ask, how did he end up on Games Master, and what happened to old what's-his-name with the red jacket, gold-rimmed spectacles, and Manic Street Preacher's obsession? I mean, that's a fair description of Dominic at this point. Yeah, yeah. But Dexter explains a story that we've kind of repeated ourselves in the past. Originally, I was asked whether I wanted to appear on the show as a guest and take part in a challenge, and I agreed to that. But then in the intervening time, Dominic left the show, and I was asked whether or not I would be interested in taking over. I went in, did a bit of an audition, they liked it, offered me the part, and well, who says no to Games Master? And on the contrived Games Master plot, which propels the show from location to location, I'm the Games Master's new right-hand man at what is an academy of games playing excellence. I'm sort of the bridge between him and the trainees. I'm on his side, but he thinks I'm a pain in the arse. I suppose I'm the artful dodger to his Fagin. I read that, and I think, yeah, that, that rings true and plays into the sort of character he's portraying, because as an actor, he needs a grounding. He needs some sort of reference to anchor it to, and I think that is a very good analogy for the way their relationship is portrayed. Yeah, I mean, you and I have said on this show uh, throughout Series 3 thus far that we haven't seen this level of interaction between host and Games Master before. Like, we had it back in Episode 4, where it was like, oh, do get on with it, Fletcher! As I'm in a good mood today, I think I'll give each contestant three hits before they meet their maker. Oh, well, how generous. Just do that from the big cheese. Oh, do get on with it, Fletcher. Sorry about that, Governor. Like, even referring to him by name, there is actually, there feels like there's some chemistry between Dexter and the Games Master, even though it is Dex talking to a video screen of a pre-recorded Patrick Moore. I think we benefit from Patrick Moore being wonderfully curmudgeon and just having a natural character. He doesn't need to play anyone other than himself. And, and Dexter's an RSC alumni. He's appeared in films and television and all sorts of stuff. 
so it's no great shakes for him. Dexter says he used to watch the first two series of Games Master, but not religiously. Me? I always dress up in black robes and a dog collar every Thursday at 6.30, but I guess it's a matter of personal choice. That's not me, me. That's the <laughs> interviewer me. I mean, every Thursday at 6.30, you and I are usually recording this podcast. Like, it's 7pm now. Am I wearing a dog collar? No, you're wearing a very fetching P uh, PlayStation jumper. It's not even a PlayStation jumper. I'm wearing my PlayStation pyjama shirt with my Xbox pyjama trousers. I'm multi-platform, Luke. <laughs> so he says... He used to watch Games Master. Luke. Yes. Do you have any observational thoughts on that, given that you are always disparaging his his um his possible games pedigree? I'm only going by what people who worked on the show told us, which is he didn't know anything about games. I just I I he may have seen the show. Well, whether this is just marketing fluff or whether it's true, he was a fan of the old style, but his Games Master persona is undeniably different from old Thingamabob with the dodgy accent. Wow, that's throwing stones in a glass house. <laughs> the spirit of Peter Rogers and Gerald Thomas has been laid to rest and Series 3 is very much outuendo and in-your-face. Well, it's certainly more outuendo because there's less innuendo this time round. Although, as we've discussed, he is getting a bit more risque as as the episodes go on, which I like. It, it's nice mm. because it doesn't feel like he's impersonating anyone. He's just doing this in his own way. They ask, is that the real Dexter Fletcher up there appearing on the screen without the protective shield of a camera for the first time? And he goes, I'd say it's a very nervous Dexter Fletcher, but yeah, it's more or less me up there. Yeah, I think that's probably right. Like, I think that when he is interviewing people, you can see that is what Dexter Fletcher is like as a TV host and TV personality. They say for a man with such a wealth of experience behind him, an attack of the nerves might be the last thing you'd expect, but Dexter says that overcoming his fear of stepping out there into the Games Master spotlight was one of the hardest things he's ever had to do in his career. It's a very unforgiving atmosphere, quite intimidating, and just getting up, taking a deep breath and going out there and doing it was the toughest part of the challenge. Also, the kids can be pretty ruthless. They come along expecting a show to run through smoothly for half an hour, but of course in TV it doesn't work like that, and they start shouting, You're crap, and where's Dominic? That, I can 100% believe that as well. Because when we interviewed uh, Larry Bunder Jr., his quote was, I did go to TV, but we left halfway through because it's really boring to watch TV be put together. And even before that, when we talked about other people that have been on the challenger, Paul Gannon was talking about mm -hmm. the various takes and the back and forth and walking up and down the aisle. Unless they're going out live, like this episode, very rarely do things run either sequentially or smoothly. And even when you're live, things very rarely run smoothly. But nevertheless, with half the series now in the can, as us TV people are wont to say, Dexter has enjoyed his first stint as the game's master of ceremonies. The main reason, he says, is that he's a fan of the games themselves. I used to have a Mega Drive, but I've given that to my brother now because I've got a SNES. There's a bit of a gang of us that get together for game sessions. I'll be introducing them in my column over the next few months, and I guess I do okay. I think I'm a pretty good player, and now I get to see all the new releases first. He's either very good at bullshitting. Which is what I think it is. Like, if I did not play a game, if I didn't have a SNES, if I didn't have a Mega Drive, and actually playing games was just something that was not on my radar, but I had been hired to be the new host of a game TV show, like the biggest game TV show, I wouldn't say in an interview, no, I think games are shit, and I don't play them, really. I would say, I like to play games. It's more the convoluted nature of his initial statement, because he could say... 
I've got a SNES. It's the fact he goes, I used to have a Mega Drive, but I gave it to my brother and now because now I've got a SNES. It's like the more complicated a lie you tell, the more difficult it is to maintain. Yeah, yeah. It, it, could, it could go one or it could go one of two ways, really. But moving away from games, he also has the trouser-bulgingly exciting prospect of meeting and greeting all sorts of top showbiz celebs. His favourites so far have been Paul Whitehouse, Steve Punt, and Hugh Dennis. Milky, milky. Moni Love has also been pretty cool, whilst alas and alack, visually impaired chart-topping songstress Gabrielle was awfully nice, but absolutely <laughs> crap at games. Dexter himself, of course, will not have to put his claim to be pretty good at gaming on the line. Not yet, anyway, but we're working on it. He's certainly got a few years' practice behind him if his metal is ever tested. He claims his favourite games ever are Defender and Asteroids, which we used to play down the local kebab shop. Great games both, but as technologically advanced as, well, kebabs really. I don't know, kebabs are pretty technologically advanced in my opinion. You can pack a lot into it. You can pack a lot into it. And also the fact is that just... Yeah, I like a good kebab, what can I say? Still, it shows the lad has a pedigree and it's already looking like he has the credentials to replace... Oh, what was his bloody name? We kind of had this as a bit of a discussion. I, I, the reason it's come up is because I was just editing the episode. Uh, I think it was episode six where we were talking about him, uh, sort of talking about Qbert, and you were saying that he must have at least played these games. I think Dexter is probably the sort of person that if he's in an arcade, well, not in an arcade, but if there is a place that's got an arcade machine, then he has played those, which would be why, you know, he's played things like Defenders and Asteroids and can say comfortably, yeah, those are games that I have played. And Cubert would have been one of those, as you said. Now, when we recorded that, I hadn't actually read this interview through because much like watching Too Far Ahead in the series, we try and keep things as current as possible. Otherwise, it gets too easy to skip ahead of yourself. You'll notice when you listen, we sometimes refer one episode ahead and that's because we're recording two in one go. <laughs> so we've already got the notes. But yeah, I, I'm glad that that statement at the end exists because my whole theory about Cubert was just because he doesn't play games now doesn't mean he wouldn't have played them growing up. And Cubert, mm. Asteroids, Defender, that sort of Space stuff, Space Invaders, Pong, like all that sort of stuff. The sort of the would have been in arcade cabinets in like pubs or or whatever, and chip shop and kebab shops. We don't get it yeah. now. Now it'll be a fruit machine if at all. But that did used to be a standard of a chip shop. Uh, former mm -hmm. guest on the podcast, Mensky, used to run a YouTube series called Games from the Chippy, which was him playing arcade games that used to feature at his local chip shop when he was growing up. So, yeah, mm. the SNES and Mega Drive thing may be bullshit. <gasps> he may not be up to speed with current games, but also he's a full-time working actor, so I guess that's understandable. Basically, I'm choosing to believe in my mind palace that he does know the right way around a joystick. Yeah, I, I would say that like my my wife has played games, but she does not like playing games. You sort of see what I mean. But like, you know, if you'd said to her, have you played this game? She will say yes. But she would if you had said, did you like playing that game? It's probably a different answer. Or, you know, did you like playing that game? And would you play another game is a different answer. Yeah. But anyway. That wraps up the interview with Dexter Fletcher, but apparently he's going to have his own column of unknown size and colour coming up in future <laughs> issues. Oh, welcome to Gaze Master live and direct. We are live. Oh, are you not? Oh, my God. Let me get up here. Hello. All right. Yes, we're here at Olympia Live. That's right. The future entertainment show. You've got to see it to believe it. And just to prove we are live, in case you don't believe it, are you not? What's the time? Yes, 
There you are, you can't get much liver than that. Right, we've got the usual stuff for you on the show. We're going to be looking around the show later on, the future entertainment show. You can check that out. We've also got lots of challenges and a knockout celebrity challenge. You've got to see that. Right, we better go with the first challenge. Shall we go with the first challenge? Well, what an opening we've got here, because this episode is unlike any episode that we've had in Series 3 so far, but actually in Games Master overall. This is a live episode of Games Master, and you can tell that it's live, because Dexter asks the crowd, what time is it? And they tell him. Yeah, they shout 6.30, even though by my counting, it's probably about 6.31, maybe 6.32 at that point, when you allow for idents and title sequences. But I get what he's trying to do. And for a show as reliant on technology as Games Master, particularly technology of the early to mid 90s, to do a live episode. And you see that in both the first and last challenge, because in a taped show, You cut out all of the switching over. But here, you get to see all of the switching over live and in person and how long that can take. And poor old Dex and Tim have to cover for it. I am immediately amazed. And I made this note as soon as I started watching it, and especially as soon as things started to go a little bit wonky on the challenges, that they didn't give it a 15-minute tape delay or Mm. 30-minute tape delay. There is going to be a tape delay on this because tape delays were commonplace, particularly after incidents like the going live swearing at five star incident where live on Saturday morning television. Okay, Elliot, what's your question? I'd like to ask five star where the like f***ing crap the f***ing Thanks very much, Elliot. Nice Bye. to hear from you. I'm sure Tammy would have made a lot more sense. Let's move on to line three. Have you got a sensible question? But no, they are going out live or as live as they could And man, this crowd is loud. Yeah. And I think part of that is A, they know they're on TV. B, you know, it's been a fun old day. C, I think that Dexter's really good at hyping the crowd up. He knows how to call and response. He knows how to get the crowd to make some noise, how to cheer, make it seem as alive as possible. This is why you want someone like a Dexter Fletcher in this role, someone who is very good at this sort of thing. And it's here, without the protection of editing, that we do see he's got some genuine presenting chops because Mm -hmm. every take is his first and only take. Oh, yeah. I mean, we saw the the clips we have seen of Games Master Live 92. It's it's quite silent and awkward at times. So I think that Dex is very, very good in this role. Although I am somewhat confused how they managed to get the set from Bottom Live 2 two years before it debuted (laughs) and of course being a stage show the set looked as wobbly as well this set does god that was a vhs that got watched a heck of a lot during the 90s i was so glad i had a couple of friends over the age of 18 because i had bottom live and bottom live number two and you can bet they were put in plain cardboard sleeves and kept well away from the prying eye of parents oh yeah i I was lucky to have uh, a brother and a cousin that are both six years older than i am I just had a guy that I knew that caught the same bus as me that I caught to school and he had long hair and a leather jacket and I think he was my role model in more ways than I care to mention. <laughs> anyway, let's get on with our first challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? There you are, Fisher. Glad to see you're getting out and about. My first challenge tonight is on Aladdin for the Super Nintendo, an enchanting game in which the contestants have to collect as many diamonds as possible while dodging the grisly terrors lurking at the Casbah. 
the contestant who collects the most diamonds in 45 seconds will receive my precious golden joystick. Like Gamesmaster's, ah, oh, there you are, Fletcher. As if Gamesmaster doesn't know where we are anymore because we've moved to another new location. But he's glad to see that Fletcher is getting out and about. <laughs> yeah, we're playing the SNES version of Aladdin here. You've got to collect the most diamonds, though, and it's not in typical Series 3 style where you go on to the final of the show. This is old school games master you do a challenge you win you get yourself a joystick can you imagine trying to keep the kids like in one place for half an hour or i'm gonna go on a limb and say that these kids are plants that they pick them earlier in the day yeah knowing what we know about the way some of the challenges went at the first games master live i would expect that these kids had been selected earlier in the day maybe even from some of the challenges that they were doing earlier in the day because there were multiple live shows per day but only one Mm -hmm. of them was being broadcast so you know as we kind of talked about at the top of this show i played the mega drive version a lot but i'm actually very very unfamiliar with capcom's aladdin and Capcom did some amazing Disney games, but you said this was the version that you were more familiar with. This is the version that you grew up with. The SNES version is a version that I think of the two, Jazz Rignall would hate the most because a lot more of this game is based around running and jumping. You swing off poles to elevate yourself up. You actually jump boost yourself off guards. You can throw apples, but there's no sword. There's no sword involved. Mm-hmm. It was the version that I guess I prefer because I'm familiar with it, but I do concede that the Mega Drive version is both better and truer to the film. Capcom were good at making games that looked good, particularly at this point, particularly on the SNES, but they didn't have the magic that the teams making the Disney games for the Mega Drive had. It just wasn't present. And also, as I think I mentioned earlier, Disney were involved in the animation on the Mega Drive version. But that's not to say that the SNES one doesn't look good. Like, the SNES one does look really, really nice. It's got that lovely SNES Capcom style about it. And it sounds good, but the score just isn't as tightly tied to the film as the Mega Drive version. The Mega Drive version, pretty much all the music is from the film. The SNES version, there's like two songs. Now, the only reason we get this split in development is because at this time, Capcom held the licensing rights to games on Nintendo consoles based on Disney intellectual property, which resulted in DuckTales, Darkwing Duck, Who Framed Roger Rabbit, and Goof Troop, and now Aladdin. Yeah, they've had that for quite some time at this point. Because we've got Chip and Dale as well. But the license at this point has expired. Between the cinematic releases of Aladdin and The Lion King, Capcom lost the license, which is why when we get to The Lion King, it's not a Capcom game. Things have reverted back, and now we do have two games that are very similar. The Lion King on Mega Drive and SNES are much closer. Although, perversely, the Mega Drive version of Aladdin did end up on a Nintendo console. And I'm not talking about the bootleg ports that have been made moving the Mega Drive to the SNES and the SNES to the Mega Drive. They've been done and they're actually pretty good. End of 1994, the Mega Drive version of Aladdin was ported to the NES for a European release. Was it really? I didn't know that until I was doing my bits and pieces of research. I want to go and check that out because it's fascinating that here we are, tail end of 94, and someone went, do you know what we need to do? We need to put out Aladdin, a at this point two-year-old film, on a NES, a console that at this point is propping up coffee tables. 
Yeah, right? It's a weird, weird decision. I'm kind of fascinated by it, though. And one last thing of note regarding the Aladdin game for the SNES itself is there were numerous diamonds you could collect, including red diamonds. And the ending you got was slightly different depending on how many of those diamonds you got. It's not one of those cases where if you don't collect all of them, you don't get the proper ending. It was just tweaked slightly. Hmm. But I'll be honest, I never saw the ending of Aladdin on the snares. I never completed that at the time. Lion King I did, but Aladdin, nah, couldn't get it. It was it was a tough Capcom game for me. Others may find it easy, but I don't know. I just wasn't runny and jumpy enough. No, I mean, we can talk about it a bit more when we do get the Mega Drive version of Aladdin uh, in Series 3. We get it as part of the team tournament. I can talk about my experience with that game then, but I can tell you now, I also never completed Aladdin. Hard as bastards, that game. Well, it's very nice to be out and about. Thank you very much, Games Master. Right, as you can see, the game is Aladdin on the SNES. Very new, very exclusive. All we need now is three eager beavers to come up here and do the challenge. Who wants to do it? Right, caretaker, give me that little lady there. Yeah, let's have that little lady there. This little girl, this girl here, I want this girl here. Come on, look at this girl. And these two lads at the front, let her through, let her through. Yeah, let's have him up as well. And one more, one more. Grab another one, caretaker. Come on, all right, love. Good stuff. There we go, we got three, good. All right, you lot, Lown up there. OK, do you want to tell us your names? Susie. Susie? Paul. Paul? Jamie. Jamie, so have any of you played Aladdin on a SNES since you've been here? Yeah. You played it? What do you think? I think it's all right. It's good, isn't it? Yeah. Right, hopefully one of you is going to win the famous Games Master Golden Joystick. Yeah. They're all going mad here. Have you played it before? No, all right, so he's not going to be too tough to beat. What about you? No. Not played it before. All right, well, the best of luck to all of you. The winner will get the Games, Games Master Golden Joystick. You're going to go up first. You two stand around and have a little look, see what you're up against. I'm going into the commentary box to see Tim Boone. We've got three eager beavers pulled out of the crowd. The caretaker essentially pulled them out of the crowd. And when I say they're pulled out of the crowd, they are literally pulled out of this crowd because they're uh, like, it is. It feels like it's this rabid base. Like the people who are at the front are there and they want to be picked. And this is why I wasn't sure if they were plants or not, because no one is letting these people through. Like they are, like the caretaker is literally pulling this poor girl through the crowd to get her up on stage. But they're all close to the front. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, if you're going to pick someone to play the game, you would pick the people that are close to the front. Yeah, I, I still think that they would be taking a hell of a risk on a 30 minute live show to pull three people up that they cannot guarantee had played the game. Although when we get to the pre-challenge interviews, it's only the first one, the girl, Susie, that says, yeah, I've played it before, played it at the show. And I've played it today, yeah. Whereas Paul and Jamie claim they haven't. Unless we hear otherwise later on, I am going to assume that they had all played it, they all knew the controls, and they all knew what they were doing, because they clearly know how to play the game. I think it's fairly self-explanatory, though. Like I, 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 I would actually buy the the these two haven't played the game. I think the reason why Jamie does as well as he does at the game is because he saw two people play it before and essentially learned from their mistakes. Maybe. Yeah, and he fumbled with it as well. Yeah, I, I'm looking forward to finding out later, hopefully, whether they were 100% randomly selected at that moment in time or whether they've been pre-selected earlier in the day. In my mind, the smart money is on pre-selected earlier in the day. If yeah, they, I would say so. If they didn't do that, wow, that is dropping your nutsack in a lion's mouth. That is really, yeah. really asking for trouble because it's live television and you're working with children 
and video games. I, I think if I was to put money on this, I would say that they were probably pre-selected and told the challenge you're going to do is you're going to play uh, Aladdin on the stairs. So if you can get it played today, I would recommend that you do. It's over, it's over there at the Capcom booth. Show them this magic golden ticket and mind the Oompa Loompas. But the thing is, mm. even if they'd put them right at the front, the way these kids were, chances are kids would have pushed in front of them. Oh, totally. Because if you're in the audience, you don't know that they've been pre-selected. And here I am, coming to see Tim Boone. Hello, Tim. All right, thanks. How you doing? Very well, thank you. Where's Tim Boone of NMS Magazine, just in case you didn't know? <laughs> Excuse me, been dead. All right, so Aladdin on the sticks. Of course, one of the best-looking games you're going to find on any console anywhere. I think so. Um, the key thing about this game, though, is you have the jewels. It's up against the timer. You've got 45 yeah. seconds. You'll yeah. find most of the jewels up high. Don't hang around. Don't fight anybody. Go for it. Right, that's right. You've heard the word from Tim Boone. Don't fight Don't anybody. Don't hang around. 45 seconds as many jewels as you can. Tim Boone, completely unbiased. That's Tim Boone from Nintendo Magazine System, <laughs> the official Nintendo Magazine. Completely unbiased. Definitely no bias here. So Susie is up first. And of the three, as far as we know, she's the only one who actually got to play the game at the show, but clearly did not play it enough to know sort of the ins and outs of the control scheme in order to like the swinging because it looks like you've got to press a button to grab onto it and then another button to swing and then another button to release. Because all three of these players have the same thing, where they would jump to the pole and then immediately fall off of it. And she struggles with that. She struggles to get any height because the, the advice you'd be given is go high. And so she only gets two jewels. I mean, they're all given two pieces of advice. Go high and don't fight the bad guys. She doesn't go high and she fights a load of the bad guys. Yeah, they are screaming at her as well during the challenge that she needs to get higher. Now she's ignoring the other two. It would have been best if she got for those. Oh, she hasn't lost any lives yet. No, though. she needs to go up higher at all times. There's a few over on the right. Though. Get she up high, Susie. She needs to get past the snakes. Come she's on. Still only got she's two got she runs past some of the jewels as well, and Tim's like, oh, she's she probably needed to go back and get those. It was frustrating to watch, but also as nerve-wracking as doing a challenge on Games Master would normally be, with that crowd behind you? Yeah, live TV. Yeah, they have to have been pre-selected. <laughs> <laughs> I also, you know, credit to Tim Boone as well, because he does cover for uh, Susie, and he covers for, you know, all of them by saying, look, this game's not even out yet. These, these kids will have only have played this game at this event today, if they have us all. We're lucky with Games Master that by the time we get to Season 3, we've got a lot of very good, very competent co-commentators and I think they made a smart choice with having Tim Boone being the man on the mic for this show because he's the commentator for all three challenges. They just stick yeah. him up in that side booth and they leave him there. I hope they give him a bucket or something because even half an hour, that can seem a long time. I mean, Tim Boone did all the commentary for Games Master Life 92 as well. He's just a really safe pair of hands for this sort of thing. Not bad, not bad. Paul's up next. Let's get him in the hot seat. Paul, quick as you like me, old son. Well done, Susan. Must be remembered for everybody at home. This is the first time these guys have ever played this game, seen it, let alone yeah. played it. You can play it if you're wandering around a future entertainment show, but Absolutely. otherwise, only Games Master has got it. Paul goes up next, and while the game is reset, because yes, this game does need to be reset every goddamn time. And you can hear them resetting it as well. Dexter says you can play this if you're going around the future entertainment show, but otherwise, only Games Master has got it. Mmm. Also, just to get a little bit tech nerdy, because this is the future entertainment show, I want to talk about their microphones. Uh, well, they've got like the proper uh, football pundit microphones, the John Motson microphone. The lip ribbon microphone is the proper term for it, because I've always wanted one of these things. I've never had any reason 
to own it. Like I've got a nice dynamic mic here that I'm using now. I've got a condenser mic that I was using before that picked up every single page crease and God knows what. And I've got a bunch of different handheld mics for different live event situation. I still want this lip ribbon microphone because this is a broadcasting classic. This was actually designed by the BBC for outside broadcast. And they were specifically designed for live newscasters, live broadcasters. They were made for the BBC. They also went on general sale. You can still buy them new today. They still cost mm. 300 to 400 quid new. You can buy them for about 100 to 150 used. And if I was going to get one, that'd be where I'd probably go. But the design is unchanged. Oh, that's cool. The microphones you see here, which look the same as the ones that were used 10, 20 years before, also look the same today. The main reason they're so popular is like if I go really, really close to this microphone, you get something that's known as a microphone proximity effect and my voice will become a lot boomier even after I've edited it and processed it. A lip ribbon microphone is designed to be held that close and just pick up the microphone. It's got a very distinct sound, a very distinct reaction. And yeah, it gave me a genuine thrill to see them using these microphones for this. Paul basically makes all the exact same mistakes that Susie made. Only gets two as well, but worse than Susie, he actually dies. That's it. He dies with only two jewels. He also spends all of his apples. You know, what was the advice that Tim gave? Don't hang around. Don't fight anybody. Go for it. So he spends loads of time just throwing these apples. And again, this is why it makes me feel like they haven't played this game much, uh, you know, even if they didn't play it on the day. Because if you'd know the game, you would know if you throw one apple that stuns them, then you can do the leap off. But they're treating this game like it is a different kind of game, which is that you throw the apples at them until they go off screen. So he just stands there pelting all of his apples at this one guard, and then he's out of apples. But we're on to our third kid, Luke, and this kid apparently looks mean. Yeah, he means business. But will he have learnt from the errors of his predecessors? Well, apparently so. Yeah, he does indeed, because with 14 seconds left on the clock, he has got four jewels. He's already beaten the challenge. He pays attention to what's been said. He goes high-ish. He doesn't fart ass around with the enemies. He just goes for the jewels, which is what he needs to win the challenge. A high score of four is not a great score. It probably <laughs> doesn't make Aladdin look the greatest game in the world, which is a shame, but it's enough to do the job. Mm -hmm. It is indeed. Now, come over here. Line up next to me this side. Excellent stuff. So, you played the game before, but you didn't do too well, did you? No, not as good as I thought. Not as well as you thought you was going to do. Well, thanks very much for taking part anyway. What about you? You did quite well. Yeah. You ran away with it, didn't you, Jamie? Yeah. Four jewels, you're very happy. We'll come back to you in a minute. And what about you? What went wrong? Uh, it was tough. It was tough. That's right, Aladdin is tough on the snares. But didn't you realise that Jamie has won the famous Games Master Golden Joystick? <laughs> I feel like they're in the wrong order to be interviewed here because they go to Susie, who you know didn't do as well as she thought, and then they go to the winner and it's like, you ran away with it. Well, now we've got to talk to one of the other losers. What did you do? And it's like, I didn't do well. Oh, well, Jamie wins. Live television, Luke. Live television. If they don't go That's in exactly the order it. they're meant to, you can't really drag them around. So Dex just does what he can with what he's got. The kids have got marks. Uh, when you do this as a taped thing, you go to this spot here. They're doing it live. They just stand wherever they please. But Jamie's won. He gets the Golden Games Master joystick and then is literally sent back into the crowd where I can almost guarantee someone tried to mug him for that joystick. 100%, yeah. Probably one of the other two. Probably Susie. She probably <laughs> just cold clocked him with like a bag of Nintendo magazines or something and just ran <laughs> off with it. But amazing game, Bobbin's Challenge. 
Yeah, not a great challenge. Not the fault of the production team, not the fault of the contestants because they were probably nervous as heck. It was just one of those things. Why don't we take a little break and you can watch the reviews. We ran around earlier. You'll enjoy it. Watch this. Thank you very much, Dexter. Well, here we are at the Future Entertainment Show. Let's go and have a look around, eh? See what's happening down there. Come on. Looks like a right laugh. Come on, let's go up the top and have a go. Yeah. And here I am at the top. Right. Only leaves a bit to go down. Wish me luck. Here we go. Come on, you can check it out. Bye, Mum. Now, this gets introduced as the review zone for the week. But I guess it's a review of the future entertainment show. I'm going to go out on a limb and say maybe they had some reviews ready to play and they had the feature and they saw where the time was going at this point and they went, just play the feature. Yeah, because Dex does say, here's a review of the games that we've seen at this event. And they don't show any of those games. They instead show this feature. My theory in it was that they had planned to do some reviews of the games that were featured at the show, but then... They didn't get anything filmed in time, didn't get anything put together. So instead, this is what we got instead, which is basically just a short highlights package of what has happened at this day or, you know, the last couple of days at the Future Entertainment Show. Fun little package, though. And it's the sort of video package you could never see Dominic Diamond doing. Which is, again, why Dexter's great in this role. But we started off, we get some sped up footage of Dexter running around the entertainment show, saying hello to various people. He sees Fred Flintstone, Alfred Chicken, as well as various people that are just there as attendees. He goes on an absolutely massive slide that goes down into a ball pit that looks a lot of fun. They also send a camera guy down it because we get some point of view shot. And then next we end up on the NSPCC Gunge Plunge Stand, which is a nice bit of charity promotion, oddly tying into a BBC product, but hey, brave new world of broadcasting, we'll do what we do. I'm here with Simon at the Gunge Tank, we're having a quick chat. Simon, what's the Gunge Tank all about? The NSPCC has just launched the Gunge Plunge to all secondary school kids across the country. We're giving school kids the chance to gunge their teacher if they raise money for NSPCC. Don't let your teachers off the hook. You heard it here. Don't let your teachers off the hook. Bring them down. Give them a good soak in a good gungeon. <laughs> this way, come on. And the basic premise of this is you can raise money for the NSPCC and in return, they will gunge your teachers. That's roughly how it's sold. We did this. Tell us a story, Uncle Luke. Honest to God, this came up on this show and I was like, <gasps> holy sh**. We did this once. And I had this. I haven't thought about this day for years and years and years. Seeing this gunge tank opened up a memory recess that I did not know was there, but I have a memory of being in my playground in the the field behind my school at Westwood Farm in uh, Juniors in Reading and having one of our teachers gunged because we raised money for charity. I don't know how much money we raised, but I do remember the gunge was green. And like, I wish I could remember which teacher it was as well. It was definitely, it was a male teacher I can remember. But I remember that we wanted to be in the gunge tank. That's all, that's all we wanted to do. Like the kids watching and kids cheering, we were just, we wanted to be in the seat. You know, because the whole thing is like, hey, you get to gunge your teacher. Isn't that fun? Don't let your teachers off the hook. 
Gunge's teacher. We were like, no, no, we want to get gunged. That looks fun. We want to do the thing. That is amazing. I don't reckon my school would have gone for that. I mean, we did all sorts of various charity things, and I'm fairly certain every fate the headmaster would go in the stocks and the wet sponges. But there's a lot yeah. of difference between a wet sponge and a bucket of gunge. Oh, yeah. Don't do drugs, kids. <laughs> <laughs> well, well, it's Metro, UK champion for Nintendo. How's it going? Yeah, not bad, mate. Not bad. Has you got a new single out? How's it going? Yeah, it's all right. It's uh, called Take the Challenge, and I uh, suppose you want me to do a verse, yeah, right? Yeah, we'll do a verse. Oh, here we go. Right, right. Go on. See if you can manage to take the challenge with oh, me. That's yeah. terrible, terrible. Now we can get Blobby to gun him. All right, Blobby, do the business on him, mate. Bye, Metro. Thanks very much for coming. <laughs> yeah! <laughs> Speaking of rapping, though... <laughs> Didn't even intend that one. No. We see Metro, who's the UK Nintendo champion, and apparently has a new single out. Now, I thought this was a bit until he started to do the rap. And then Dex was like, that's a bit crap, really, isn't it? Let's move on and get gunged. Mr. Blobby's here. First in timeline appearance for Mr. Blobby on the podcast, Luke. I know, right? And I, I, I've written here, he's got a single out. He's going to do a rap. And then Dex gunges him with Mr. Blobby. There's little more that's 90s than that sentence. It is peak 90s in about a 10 to 15 second segment. And be it by chart appearances or a potential bonus episode on Noel's house party, we are not rid of Mr. Blobby in this timeline. We will be seeing him again at least once. Yeah, he's actually going to come up very shortly, or at least in the next few weeks. More than a few weeks, because he's number one at the, at the top of the charts twice. That's going to be a fun one to talk about. That's, that's after the uh, the absolute mountain that is meatloaf and I do anything for love. There's only one thing that can topple meatloaf and it's blobby, blobby, blobby. Did Jim Steinman write for Mr. Blobby? <laughs> God, can you imagine an 11 minute Mr. Blobby single? Why you come to the future in a time show? Buy a game then. To buy a game? Yeah. Well, rock and roll is here to stay, but we gotta get ourselves some eats. So let's go in the diner, chomp some food, come on. And here I am at the Ocean Diner waiting for my burger. Hey, thanks very much. Hey, quite a great burger. That's an American burger. And to really sort of sum up this segment, my next note reads, a kid says he's here to buy games and then gets bothered by Zool and Bubsy the Bobcat. Not just Zool, but Zool and Mrs. Zool. There are Zools. Yeah. And yeah, Bubsy the Bobcat. Uh, Dex goes and then plays Quasar, gets to hang out with Jasmine and Jafar from Aladdin because Aladdin's the big movie of the time and hey, the games are out. Well, the games are coming out. He gets to smooch Jasmine's hand. He's putting out the Rachel paper manoeuvres there. And Jafar looms over him because it's a great Jafar costume. Mm. Oh yeah. And then we get our first celebrity appearance of the day. Well, I'm absolutely cream crackered. I've been running around, I've been on the dodgems, I've been in the laser thing, I've been in all of it, but we ain't finished yet, there's more to see. Come and look, there's bad boys over there signing autographs. How did that happen? I don't know. Here I am with bad boys. How are you, lads? All right? Good to take you coming down and have a chat with us. So what are you doing here tonight? Um, we're with UBI Software, new game, F1 Pole Position. F1 Pole Position, it's a good game, isn't it? Good game. Good Very game. good game. Very good game. Because Bad Boys Inc. are here to rep the new game that's out, F1 Pole Position. Would that be F1 Pole Position from UBISoft? <laughs> yes, from UBISoft, because they are probably also very big fans of this game and of the developer itself, and certainly not paid to be here by their record label. 
Well, it would be one of the few paid gigs that they got because these guys disappeared quicker than the burger that we see Dexter get, which... Oh, yeah. Which we kind of covering this bit out of sequence because it actually came a bit earlier. But yeah, he's in an American classic car, goes into a diner, an ocean diner, where I'm going to assume all of the food is either half-baked or overdone because it's ocean. And he goes, oh, yeah, good classic American burger, delicious. And I look at it and I'm like, that is the same as every burger you would get from an exhibition center in the early to mid 90s. Oh, yeah, it is. It really makes me appreciate the variety you get at the Excel Center in London. (laughs) Bad Boys Inc., a new British pop group who I'm sure will be seeing at number one at some point. No, we do not, unfortunately. (laughs) (laughs) Add one top ten single out of six attempts. If this was a Twitter thread, there would be the gif of Bart Simpson with the you tried cake and just putting it straight (laughs) in the bin. I was like, do I remember Bad Boys Inc.? And I went and listened to a couple of songs. I was like, I mean, these are so generic, these songs. I listened to two of their tracks. They're two highest charting singles I checked out. I would wager they're both the same song. And I can't tell you the difference between them. And the only thing of note I found is that they were the first band to be featured on the National Lottery. I mean, did they wheel the machine in? I guess they did a performance. Oh, okay. So the first National Lottery broadcast, they were the musical act that were brought in for it. Do you know what? I remember the first National Lottery broadcast because, man, that was a big event. Big deal. Who won the first National Lottery jackpot? Estimated at two million It could be you. I can't remember them. No. <laughs> I always find it weird that something that was such commercialised gambling was then broadcast on the BBC. And there was controversy oh, yeah. about it at the time. Oh, man, that's ahead in our timeline as well, isn't it? Well, I mean, it will be, yeah, because, I mean, this, these split up by 95. Well, we've had a run around a future entertainment show and things are looking very good. You've got to get down here and check it out. No back over to that gorgeous hunk. Dexter, take it away. This feature, well, not great. It was fun to see the Future Entertainment Show in 1993 in these, you know, various little bite-sized chunks, burger bite-sized chunks, if you will. Do you know what? It it just made me miss events. Like, this made me miss going to a convention. And kind of in an odd way, it made me miss working at a convention. I've done a fair few conventions in my time where I've had a stall, or I've been working for a website that has got a presence at an event, or I've worked for a company that's got a presence at an event. I love doing it. And I really get a bit of a kick out of it. And watching Dex go around and film stuff, it made me think of, I did a movie show on YouTube a few years back for a website that I was working for. And we filmed down at uh, London Film and Comic Con. We were there for all three days. And we filmed a lot of stuff there. And we filmed us going around and interviewing people. Some incredible costumes this time around. You've seen the level is absolutely astonishing. Super realistic, well-made, almost like the real thing. But let's remember, guys, these aren't, in fact, the real characters. And I'm here now with the actual real-life Superman. Superman, what's up with Metropolis, dude? You destroyed the whole place, man. There's so many people who could have died. Yeah, well, the world's got to be saved somehow. Deadpool, why aren't you funny anymore? What kind of a question is that? Very sorry for the loss of your brother, but at least you got to join the Avengers now. Yay! Yay! 
I'm here now with Rogue from the X-Men universe. You must really hate Brian Singer. What has happened with the other films? They've been pretty rubbish. I disagree. What is your beef with Tony Stark? Come on, man. He seems like such a nice guy. <laughs> there's, there's ways to do things. But Thor is amazing. I love working with Thor. He's so funny. And I don't really think he knows he's funny. It's just funny. Because you're so sure that you are right. I, you must be wrong for that reason. I mean, he, he makes a compelling case. Do you think you could, like, take off your gloves and steal his powers and make mediocre films? I don't think I'd want to. <laughs> Let's be fair. No, no, no. That's not a power worth stealing. That's the world's most useless interview and the worst start and a fabrication and a falsity. So I gotta go. What do you make of the comments that Howard the Duck is funnier than you? Why don't you answer my questions? Oh, well, there you have it, folks. Superman doesn't care about Metropolis. And it was a terrific weekend. We had such a blast doing it. And I just got these lovely little flashbacks watching these guys going around and filming themselves at this event. So while this may not have been the greatest feature the Games Master has ever done, it is one of my favorites that we've had in Series 3 so far, because it did make me sort of like, it made me want to go to an event like this. Same. There's a lot of things I'm sad that I didn't get to do this year, like a lot of us didn't. And we very rarely talk about how 2020 has been, but hey, guess what? <laughs> You're probably going to hear this in 2021. It might not be much better at this point. Yeah, you're right, actually. Yeah. No, in fact, they are. It's like the middle of January at this point. Speaking from the past, I hope January is at least slightly better, or at least you're not quite <laughs> as sick of the year yet. <laughs> but right at the beginning of when all this kicked off, I was due to go to a retro gaming event. That didn't happen. I think the actual event itself got cancelled. There were other events, and I think we actually talked about the possibility of both going to a couple of them because there's lots of different retro gaming expo events. I had my eyes on the one they have up at Blackpool because Blackpool... That's the one we talked about going to, yeah. Yeah, that that would have been a fun little kind of trip up and, you know, shenanigans and probably recording stuff. Basically, all the sort of extra stuff that we could actually do by being in the same place together, something we haven't done Mm -hmm. since March, February. March, yeah, March it would have been, yeah. Yeah. And so, yeah, this video just really made me miss that. But it also made me hopeful for the future when we can do this kind of stuff again. It's made me more enthusiastic to go back to events, albeit safely, as and when we can. Anyway, that's enough reminiscing. It's time for our celebrity challenge. What are we playing, Games Master? Since it's a special occasion, I decided to bring back an old favourite, the arcade game Sonic Blastman. A brutally simple game in which contestants have three punches with which to destroy the meteorite. I'll be looking for the contestant who scores the highest tonnage with their blows. Let's get ready to rumble. You know, Gamesmaster introduced this as an old favourite, and he's not wrong, because it's its third appearance in as many seasons. It's Sonic Blastman, or Sonic Blastman, as Gamesmaster consistently refers to it as. There are a lot of games that we could have three times and I would be thinking, oh God, this again? Like Street Fighter 2 gets a pass, Mortal Kombat gets a pass, but some of the lower tier games, I'd be thinking, why are we going back to this well? But because it's an arcade game and because it's such a spectacle of a game, yeah, I was really happy to see this. I also wonder if they went for it, one, because of the celebrities they had on hand, but two, 
because it's a game they know that works. Now, the first game, Aladdin, we don't know if that was the final version or not. The third game we're going to see seems to need to be reset an awful lot for a game that is actually out. So maybe the version they had was a review version, a pre-production copy. Maybe for some reason they didn't have the version from the shops. Maybe it was actually a demo board that was being put in units at the Future Entertainment show so people couldn't hold the machine. It resets after every bout. But yeah, Sonic Blastman, an old friend, a reliable machine, and a machine that may need bracing with the guys we've got coming up to beat seven shades of hell out of it. And that's going to be why I think that this has been picked. Because if you're going to do an arcade game, you need to make sure it's something that people can see. You need to be able to see the screen, right? Like if you played any of the American Laser games or a Dragon's Lair or something like that, you're not going to be able to see all of the bits and bobs, are you? Because people are going to be standing around sort of hulking in front of it. You're not going to be able to see behind them or see through them rather. But with Sonic Blast Man, you don't really need to see the screen. You just need to see our celebrities punch it dead art. So you still get the visual of the game being played. That That's kind of why I assumed it had been picked. Also, because as you say, it's a very reliable machine. They've used it many, many times before. They know that it works and they know the challenge works. So the game is Sonic Blast Man, the arcade classic. Now, I promise you it's going to be a knockout and it really is. We've got someone very special for you here tonight. Ladies and gentlemen, will you please go absolutely bananas for the Dark Destroyer himself, Nigel Benn! Hi, Sade. Hi, Dominic. Hello, Mum. And our celebrity is Nigel Ben, but he's not going to be our only celebrity, but yes, Nigel Ben. Yeah, who at this point had been a professional for about five years. I think he turned pro in 87. I know he started his career with an impressive streak of knockout. Like, not even just, oh, every other fight was won by a knockout. No, he was hammering them down. He had a consecutive streak. He was the undertaker of late 1980s boxing because his streak was 22 and 0. Oh, yeah? And the point we join him at here is when he's in the middle of a borderline wrestling feud with Chris Eubank. Now, boxers didn't really do the good guy, bad guy vibe. But most everyone hated Chris Eubank. He was an oddball, that's why. I mean, I've seen Chris Eubank in real life. I actually watched him do a three-point turn in the middle of Charing Cross Road in his 18-wheeler cab. <laughs> that's impressive. Well, he didn't do it very well. Oh, okay. He blocked up Charing Cross Road for a good 10 to 15 minutes. And I just stood there watching him do this, thinking, what a bellend. What an absolute <laughs> chump. I think most of the crowd are in agreement because there are multiple references in this challenge about Nigel Benn punching the crap out of Chris Eubank and everyone is into it. I've recently been reading Louis Theroux's autobiography, Gotta Get Through This, uh, you know, because he did the, uh, the When Louis Met series, he did with the Hamiltons and some more controversial stars, and he did one with Chris Eubank. And actually the, the section that he's got on Chris Eubank is really, really interesting because it was one of the times he sort of came away not really getting on with the person that he was interviewing because Chris Eubank wanted to do the show because it's a way to get your name out there, but at the same time didn't want to do the show because he did not want to be interviewed and he did not want to tell Louis anything. So Louis sort of found the whole 
situation to be very, you know, it was very difficult because Louis trying to get an interview out of him. And then he'll just go like, well, I can see what you're trying to do. I can see what you're trying to get out of me, but I'm not going to let you do it. I'm smarter than you are. I mean, smarter, more obnoxious, little bit of column A, little bit of column B. We need to get someone who's going to take on this challenge with it for the Sonic Blast, man. Anyone else pick someone yeah, out? Go and pick someone yeah, out. Yeah, someone go pick someone out. Who looks good? Who looks good, Dan? This guy here. That little guy in here. Do you reckon he'll be up to it? Yeah, to it? Oh, it's Barry McGuigan! <laughs> But Chris Eubank aside, Nigel Benn is here and he needs an opponent. We're going to pick another person at random out of the crowd, Luke. We certainly are. And we've picked about, oh, actually, it turns out it's Barry McGuigan. What were the chances he'd be standing exactly where he needed to be to get out of the crowd? Although even he struggles. I know. I thought this was really charming, though. I really liked this. Because like, they do like play it off to be like, oh, I can't believe of all the people we pulled out, it's the cyclone Barry McGuigan, who has previously featured on Games Master. Now, Barry McGuigan is an absolute veteran at this point. He began his career in 1981. And interestingly, one of the first major setbacks of his career was losing a match to Peter Eubank, the brother mm. of Chris Eubank. So both of these guys have got beefs against Eubank. Yeah, we talked a lot about him when he was back on episode nine of series one, uh, playing, I had to go check my notes on this, Final Blow Boxing, and a challenge that I have very little recollection of other than the fact Barry McGuigan was on it. I'll go out on a limb. This is a better game. <laughs> yeah. Although I have written in my notes here, the graphics are very cool. So I must have been impressed with it as in some aspect. Although when you look at the tail of the tape between these two, Nigel Benn, over his professional career, 48 fights, 42 wins, 5 losses. Barry McGuigan, 35 fights, 32 wins, 3 losses. So on a ratio, they were pretty, pretty good. Although mm. McGuigan, 28 of his 32 wins were by knockout. But Nigel Benn, 35 of his 42. So on the knockouts, despite that 22-0 streak, McGuigan was a little bit better. Which is interesting because McGuigan proper puts over Ben in, in all of this, saying that, you know, hey, he's one of the strongest strikers in his weight division, so I've got a really tough task ahead of me here. Ben's star is still on the rise. He's no longer a rookie. He's no longer a newcomer, but he is where the eyes of the sport are on. And McGuigan is retired at this point, with his last match being in 1989. So much like, again, professional wrestling, the older retired stars put over the younger generation. But these two are so good on the microphone because also they're used to live television. They're used to being in front of a crowd. And there is some great chemistry between all three of them on this. Yeah, it really crackles along. And because Barry's really fun, Nigel's really fun, and Dex is having a, like, he's having a ball with this. So yeah, I, I, I think this is really, really strong stuff. All right, so we're going to have Nigel Benn and Barry McGuigan slugging it out on Sonic Blast, man. You've got to see it, so believe it. It's going to be brilliant. Stay with us. Don't go away. It's the adverts coming up. The crowd are going mad. Is that a rocking horse or what? Is that a rocking horse or what? 
Sega TV. To prove that Sega TV is the first ever interactive channel, I want you to all make one wish. Diamonds. Money, money, money. Washing machines. This is Mike from Hampshire. I wish I had Sega's Aladdin. Love the wishes. Thank you. <laughs> Here's a cool fact. A crocodile can't stick out its tongue. Another cool fact? You can get short-term health insurance for a month or just under a year in some states. United Healthcare short-term insurance plans are designed for people who are between jobs, coming off their parents' plan, or turning a side hustle into a full-time gig. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, they offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage with access to a nationwide network of doctors and hospitals. Get more cool facts about United Healthcare short-term plans at uh1.com. There's never been a faster or easier way to start your weight loss journey than with PlushCare. PlushCare accepts most insurance plans and gives you online access to board-certified physicians who can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wegovy and Zepbound for those who qualify. Take charge of your health and speak with a board-certified physician about a weight loss plan that's right for you. Get started today at plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinarian developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. He's tiny. He's toony. He'll drive you kind of loony. But please, don't smash your TV, because you'll get there eventually. Maybe. They're funny. They're scary. They're two new adventures that could make you lose your dentures. It's not so easy-peasy in these new games, you'll see. Two new Tiny Toons games from Konami. Buster Bust Loose on Super Nintendo and Buster's Hidden Treasure on Sega Mega Drive. And when we come back from the ad break, Barry's going to go up first. And this is how good Barry is. Takes off the jacket and asks for Nigel Ben to hold his jacket. Actually, I think, in fact, Nigel offers to take the jacket off of him so we can get even more of a reach on his hits. Neither of these two are dressed to punch because, yeah, Barry's wearing a suit and Nigel is wearing a white dress shirt with a waistcoat. It's a great look, but I'm looking at it and I'm looking at the size of his arms because he's a built dude. And I do think, is that going to factor against him? Because you feel the resistance of the cloth, you're not going to have the follow through necessarily, or, you know, you're just going to rip your shirt apart, which would look badass. All right, Tim. All right, Dex. So we've got two great champions battling out here. Absolutely. They're battling out again that requires brute strength. It's all about punching That's power. What we want to see. Now, the idea is you get three hits to hit that meteorite of the kingdom come. Most people can do about 50 ton hits. Yeah, right. You and me can do about 50. 
50. Yeah. These guys will be looking to do more than 100. I'm 100 sure they will. Right, so 50 is a good average. Yeah. I'm sure these guys are going to punch much more out of it than Absolutely. That. Now, at the okay. end of it, what we'll do is we'll add up all their totals. And who's right. got the biggest total is the heavyweight champion of Games Master. Tim Boone in the booth. He's brilliant on this task. I've, I've, I've said some pretty bad things about Tim in the past, particularly on episode one because he was doing my head in. But I think he's great on this episode. I, I'm glad he gets some redemption here because when we were talking him up earlier, part of my brain was going, man, you <laughs> shit on Tim at the beginning of this series. Because <laughs> he did my head in in episode one, but he's great on this one. And what I love about him in this challenge is that he says, most men are, are normal lads, someone like you and me, we'd probably do about 50 tons per punch. So, I mean, let's see what these, like, knowing full well, that they're going to do double that and more. So that when they do double that and more, he can do the big, oh my God, can you believe it? No one's ever punched it this hard. This is amazing. He's very good at hamming it up. And Barry being up first, he does pretty well. His first swing, it's double that and more. It's 123 tons. Before his second swing, he smooths his moustache down, which I loved. It, just, it was so classy. Bang. Well, it got him an extra three tons. That, and it was the mustache. Yeah, 126 tons. He rounds up for a third, destroys the meteor, gets another 126 ton punch. He shrugs his jacket back on, and it's 375 tons total. That is not a bad total. Yeah, it's a really, really strong total. And he made it explode, which, like, you go back to series one, neither man made the meteorite explode. We didn't actually get to see the meteorite explode until we got into the series two version of this challenge. So I've gone back through my notes to find out what people got. So the first one back in series one, episode two, episode two, way, way, way back when, Paul Turner was our first lad up for that. And he scored a total of 332. Bear in mind that they did say the game was put to its highest setting. Whereas Gary Mason, the professional, lost by one ton, 331 he scored. Oh, that was tight. I remember that now. That was so close. But Nigel Ben is up next, and he wallops this thing something fierce. 137 tons. That machine moves. And this is where Tim's great, because Tim shouts... kidding me no acting required it was a fearsome punch he winds up again 136 tons and then one final swing pretending that pad is chris eubank's face slightly lower though 131 tons basic math shows that's 404 tons Tim stalls a little bit because he's like, I mean, I, I think he might have got this one. I was like, of course he's got this one, Tim. Look at his scores. He's working the magic. Leave him be. <laughs> I, 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 I'm, not, I'm not burying him for it. I love the fact that he's doing it. Barry in no way embarrassed himself, but Nigel's score, woof, 404 tons. How does that compare to the second challenge? So that in the Series 2 one, he would have come second in all of this because returning champion, uh, Paul Turner got 391 tons on his second round of it. But Frank Bruno, who was our celebrity back in episode two, got 420 tons total. That's mad. Yes, yeah, so Tim thinks there's a new world record, but we know it's not, Tim. And you should know it's not either because you've done commentary on all three of these Sonic Blast Man challenges. Tough. I'm afraid so. You see, what happened was somebody put the impression of Chris Eubank's head on that punch pad and he put it, he almost took it off. 
Chris Eubanks' head there on a, you know, on a broken machine. But post-match, Barry says it was a tough competition and he reckons someone put an impression of Chris Eubanks' head on that pad. And at that point, he just didn't stand a chance. And Nigel agrees and says if it had been Eubanks' head there, it would have been even easier. He'd have broken the machine. I mean, he came pretty close just by pushing it off the stage. But broken or not, Nigel Benn wins. He gets the joystick and Barry gets sent to the furnace room. Apparently, Kensington Olympia has a furnace room. I mean, that seems a bit unfair. Like, the furnace is safe for people who are crap at games. Barry was dead good at this. Maybe they just needed some extra muscle down there for a bit because, you know, he's still got the guns hidden under that suit. As usual at this time, I'm opening myself up for questions from the floor. Right. Anyone with a clear in? Games Master, I've heard there's a hidden track on Formula One exhaust heat on the Super NES. Is it true? Yes, there is. Halfway round the back straight of the Monaco circuit, you'll see the barriers in front of the water stick out to form triangles. Drive straight into the V, and you will not come to a watery end. You will find yourself driving on top of the water. After a few seconds, you will reach dry land, and the secret track you have all to yourself. Fly me. Thanks. I do aim to please. Our first kid in the consultation zone, which is not at the Future Entertainment Show. This is just your, your regular consultation zone, unfortunately. Uh, but he's looking for a hidden track on F1 exhaust heat for the Super Nintendo. And there's actually a secret track that you can get to by driving over some water, which is a, a, a fun little cheat, actually. And you get this little hidden track all to yourself. I can't work out if this is actually a hidden track or this is just some artifact left in the game tiles and yeah it's a very odd one of like okay if you deliberately find this break in the barrier that could be a glitch you drive across water which you're only able to do because why would we bother to do water physics for an f1 racing game where you can't get to it you will get to this other track which you can drive around but there's no one there and it doesn't actually achieve anything yeah this actually came out in 1992 for the snares by the sata corporation And in this, there are 16 open-wheel racing tracks in the game, all of them corresponding to the 1992 Formula 1 season. So it was accurate for 1992. You had limited money to upgrade and do purchases and maintain your car and stuff. You mean like Skitchin? Skitchin! Yes, Luke. Like Skitchin. (laughs) Son of a bitch. Unsurprisingly, for racing games of this time, it makes a great deal of use of Mode 7, which is why it looked like almost every other SNES racing game of that time. (laughs) Do you know what? Back then, it never occurred to me how samey so many of them looked because they were all using the same trick. Not that I blame them because, you know what? It was a great trick. The Mega Drive didn't have Mode 7, so it was a selling point of the machine. Speaking of machine, Mean Machines reviewed this game on import back in 1991. It got 91%. Do you know who reviewed it? Was it Jazz? Jazzman. Jazzman, he doesn't like the runny, jumpy platformers, but at 91%, he sure as Billy-O liked this game. He said it was one of the most rewarding, enjoyable, and long-lasting racing games around. Although noted that there were no trackside obstacles and the game has a rather sparse and empty feel about it, especially if you find the secret track with all on it. Also, Raddy and Automatic praised the game, so contributing to the 91%. Hello, Gates Master. I need some help on the Adams family for the Mega Drive. All right. At the mansion house, grab the Fezicopter and fly up to the topmost chimney where there are lots of bonuses in. 
Now, enter the house and make your way left to a secret door for even more screens full of bonuses and extra lives. Thanks very much, Games Master. Well, our second kid is stuck on a game that features so bloody much on Games Master. It's the Adams Family, but this time it's on the Mega Drive. However, it is a consultation zone hint that we have had before. It's the secret room, although I don't remember the Fezcopter being featured before. No, but you don't need to do the Fezcopter in order to get to the other bonus bits. So I, I don't really know why they put the two together. I mean, they're two bonuses, I guess. Yeah. It saves them just repeating the same hint. So they're going, oh, well, here's what we gave you before. But hey, here's an extra one. Also, Fez. <laughs> Now, while we have covered this game before in multiple iterations, something I found out that I didn't know about then, which I do now, is that this game was originally developed for the Amiga, and it was just as development was getting underway that management went, whoa, 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 SNES. We've got a SNES dev kit now. Make this for the SNES. So off they went and they started developing it for the SNES, which was very complicated because there was all sorts of weirdness you had to do with the SNES, not just on the programming, but particularly at this point, if you wanted sounds, like sampled sounds, in a SNES game, you had to record them to DAT tape, send them to Japan, Nintendo would encode them, and then send them back. Now, at some point, that was reverse engineered and they actually just, you know, people did it themselves. But at that point, if you wanted to add a sample that wasn't something you could generate via FM synthesis or an existing sound library, you had to use airmail. Wow. But once it completed the SNES version, they did other ports, including porting it back to the Amiga, the Atari, and of course, the Mega Drive. I used to love Pong. Could I get a copy for my Mega CD? Oh, Pong, those were the days, eh? Oh, sorry. There's a very similar game hidden in black hole assault. Enter your name as A-Z-Y. Highlight mission B-H-A, then confirm your name. You'll be whizzed along to a rather snazzy secret bat and ball game called Black Ball Assault. Oh, lovely. Thank you very much. And our final hapless gamer isn't looking for a hint. She's looking for a Pong. It's basically like... I want to play Pong on the Mega CD. Wait, you're not using the Mega CD right. I mean, at that point in time... Sonic CD's out. Play that. Ah, no, we've had the review on this on this very show, Luke. <laughs> Sonic CD is bobbins, mate. It's bobbins. Yeah, same old, same old. There's only so many times you can play Night Trap without going blind, so why not play Pong? But anyway, if you happen to have a copy of Black Hole Assault, you can enter your name as AZY and then highlight... BHA, confirm your name, and then you'll get a brand new game called Black Ball Assault, uh, which is Pong, basically, with fancier graphics. I think this is a great little hint. This is a great secret game, and one of the main reasons being Black Hole Assault is a piece of shot. <laughs> it's a bad game. It is a very, very bad game. And so being able to play Pong in that game, cool. Yeah, I'm also going to use this as an excuse to play the Death Tank theme song again. Will it be as good as Gamesmaster impersonating Pong? Because I don't think I've ever laughed so hard at the Gamesmaster <laughs> as when he's going bip, bip, bop, bop. <laughs> but anyway, it's time for our final challenge. What are we playing, Gamesmaster? Door 
indulgent time feeling frivolous today, I'm going to throw this next challenge open to our live audience again. The game is Street Fighter II on the Mega Drive, a classic beat-em-up with some particularly devastating special moves. I've chosen the characters Ken and Ryu for this duel to the death. The first contestant to survive five single rounds wins this challenge. Fight! I tell you what we are playing. We're playing against the clock on this one. Bloody hell. <laughs> because of the way I watch this to pause it and play it for note making, I've always got the time up at the bottom so I can make time notes and stuff like that. And I saw the time remaining. I know how long the credits run at this point. And when he said first to five rounds, I thought, nah, mate. It's first to three rounds, isn't it? Well, here's the thing. The Games Master says first to five. And then Dex, oh. clearly having had a word in his ear from a producer, goes, oh, yeah, first to three rounds. And honestly, they should have gone first to two because then we might have got a conclusion. Because not only yeah. are they doing this on Street Fighter, which for some reason needs to be reset after every bout, but they've still got to try and get volunteers out of the crowd. Yeah, this is a messy, messy challenge because you've got six people up on stage. You've got six people who are looking to play this game. And it's the first person to score three wins, which means if the one lad, which looks like it's going to happen, just wins three matches off the bat, there's three people that don't get a shot at this. So there you go. Street Fighter, we all know. We all know and love Street Fighter. Are you all right? Right. I need six of you to come up here and try and battle it out. Who wants to do the challenge? Give me that kid down. Give me that bloke with the locks there. Give me that man now. Come here, you. I want this man here. This man, pull him out. This forward. Don't stop fighting. They all want to get on talent. Come on, step up, step up. We need some more. Bring that kid here. What about a girl? Oh, it's chaos out here. It's May. Hello, Mum. Hello, Junior. All right, love. Come on. This way. How many we got? One, two, three, four, five. We need one more. One more. You quickly. Come on, quickly. Let him go. All right, here we go. Let's find out the guy's names. What's your name? Jonathan. What's your name? Jonathan. Jonathan. Carl. Carl. Lloyd. Lloyd. Daniel. Daniel. Chris. Kevin. Right, have any of you played Street Fighter on the Megazord before? Yeah. You have, yeah? Right, you know what you've got to do? You've got to stay on for three rounds, and then you're going to win the famous Games Master Golden Joystick! <laughs> now, he goes down the line, he gets all the names. We've got Jonathan, Carl, Lloyd, Daniel, Chris, and Kevin. Carl says he's played the Mega Drive version before, and so Dex at this point quickly rewrites the challenge to stay on for three rounds, not five, and puts Carl in one of the player seats immediately. This is someone thinking on their feet because it's like, okay, we've got a group of people here. Some of these may be plants, some of these might not be. I think this one is one where they could actually wing it because Dex is originally asking for a girl. That's what I was going to say, and yeah. It, and doesn't get one. So maybe someone else was meant to be up there and they grabbed the wrong person. But either way, Carl is put in that seat because they're like, here is a kid that says he's played this a lot before on the Mega Drive. We might get a clean sweep on this one and therefore just get away with it. Yeah. And at the point they sit down, there are less than two minutes of episode time left. It's never happening. Absolutely never. Not in a month of Sundays is this happening. Ooh. 
Tim. All right, then, Dex. Street fight. We love it, don't we? We do, indeed. Here it's we the go. The big game. chance. 15 seconds of glory or 15 seconds of complete oblivion. Oh, failure. We're playing one round, and it's winner stays on. Right. It's Ken versus Rio. They've both got similar attacks. Yeah. Let's just see who the best is of these guys out here. It's the Mega Drive version. Let's find out if the guys are ready. But Tim Boone is back in commentary to say that Ken and Rayu are very similar. Get to the point, lads. We need to get a fight going here. It takes us ages to reset this thing. Let's get a fight going. It's so slapdash, this. They, they don't know who's playing as Ryu and who's playing as Ken. Ryu wins, and then they look at them and go, which one of you was Ryu? I mean, Tim does say it's 15 seconds of glory or 15 seconds of failure. The first round runs 14 seconds, so they don't even get the 15. <laughs> Anyway, it was Carl who was playing as Ryu, and he's actually, in, in all fairness to him, he knows how to play the game. It's actually some of the best Street Fighter playing we've seen from a kind of a regular player, as it were. He does really well. He wins that round quickly and decisively. We're waiting for the game to be set back up again, and we can see and hear them going through the character select screen and getting Ryu and Ken up again. Oh my god, this is so tense. And the best thing is the tension is nothing to do with the challenge. All the tension is on. This is live television. Countdown's due on in a few minutes or whatever followed it at 6.30 on a Thursday. I can't even remember at this point. And will they run out of time? We've got to get these challenges done. Absolutely, and the guy in we the time shirt is the hero of the hour. Time's ticking away, it's a live show. Come on, Lloyd, this is all G'd up. Are they ready, the guys? Can he choose for four seconds of fame and glory? Let's wait and see. Well, good luck to both these guys. Similar attack levels set there. So the guy's got one in hand, he's won one round. And, and it rests on the head of the Games Master debut of Rick Henderson, who you can see resetting up the games as quickly as he possibly can, while Tex and Tim Boone stall for time. Time they do not have. No. But the second round is also fairly swift. Carl wins again. He's 2-0 down. And while the game is reset again, Dexter says goodbye, because we're out of time. But the worst thing is, they're, they're not. The challenge carries on for another 10, 15 seconds. And the most painful thing through all of this is when we do go to the end credits because we never find out the result of that third bout, although it's looking a bit more competitive than the first two, we cut to the credits, which unfortunately, because of the pre-rendered nature of them, can't be played transparently over the top of the ongoing challenge. We can't hear the commentators, but we can still hear the crowd. Never have I been so frustrated at the end of an episode of Games Master because I just want to know who won. Next man in. He's only got to win one more round and yeah. he's won it. He's a bit of a star. We're going to one be giving more. away that golden joystick after all. <laughs> we are indeed. Let's hope so. Against all the right, odds. The game's got to get reset. They're hanging about. Here we go. Come on, guys. Come on, guys. We need to get this challenge underway. Get behind your man. Yes. Up, you can see. Yes. As Yeah, and the most frustrating thing about it is that we do hear the commentary for a bit and then they cut it off. So Tim's going like, wow, this is really close. I'm like, I can't see Tim. I'm just seeing helicopters and that lad. I'm so angry, Luke. Did he still get a joystick? Because he didn't win on air. Whoever won. 
but there, but there was a live crowd there, so they would have just presented it for the live crowd to to get the joystick, right? Do you think the live crowd even stuck around after they went off air? They're like, oh, it's over. It. There's a challenge still going on. It's Street Fighter Two Special Champ Edition. Yeah, <laughs> but it's also seven o'clock on a school night. <laughs> yeah, maybe. In which case, then it'll be the Channel Four News that's on after this. Oh. That's definitely what they can't overrun past the news. Jon Snow would have hitting <laughs> kittens. I've been bumped for what? Street Fighter 2 Special Champ Edition? It's not even Turbo. Jon Snow, he was a SNES guy. <laughs> and the most annoying thing about this is there's a simple fix here. Cut the consultation zone. The consultation zone, other than the fact of the way that the show is formatted, did not need to be here because it wasn't at the future entertainment show. You could have just excised that completely, gone straight into the final challenge. Especially because Street Fighter 2 is fully visible throughout the Sonic Blast Man challenge. You can see yeah. it in the background. There is no mystery about what the final challenge will be. It's on the monitors in the background, which also begs the question, why didn't they just turn the monitors off? It really gave away <laughs> what the final challenge was going to be. It wasn't a great episode. Like if you look at the challenges and the quality of the gameplay for the most part, it wasn't a spectacular episode, but it was a lot of fun. I loved it, mate. Absolutely loved it. Because like chaotic is the word to use it. It was chaos, particularly as we got to the end there and they were just rapidly running out of time. But I loved this episode. I had so much fun with it. I watched this. And normally I just let it play on to the next episode and do a pass of notes for that as well. No, I just hit refresh and I went back and I just watched it again because it's such a fast episode. As kinetic as the Dexter Fletcher era has been, this was that and ramped up mm -hmm. and yes the feature feels very dated because it's that production style including the video effects if you've seen wayne's world you know yeah. what i was doing with my hands at that point but it's great it just fits together everything fits together it's so much fun i loved every moment of this episode because it was great seeing aladdin even if they weren't great because that was a game i'd be looking forward to playing the feature was fun. We don't get any reviews, so to speak, but the feature was nice and lengthy and worked. Good to see Sonic Blast Man. Great celebrities. Great fun. Consultation Zone was okay. It slowed it down, actually. Not, not just in time yeah. consumed, but in energy. It slowed it down. But then we're back onto some of the most chaotic scenery we've seen on any episode of Games Master ever because you've got a rabid crowd, you've got a host and a co-commentator doing their best to hold it together, you've got Rick Henderson running around like a mad bastard. <laughs> Pressing buttons so fast. Load! 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 How long can it take a Mega Drive to boot because we think of cartridges as being the instant access gaming? Apparently not. It's a f***ing lifetime. <laughs> <laughs> And while we've had no contests on the show before, Zoom is a good example where they were plank, plank, and plank. This is the first proper no contest. Sorry, folks, we're out of time. We gotta go. It's the first and it's probably the last as well. I, it was so weird. What a weird little ending. What a weird little episode. But I loved it. I absolutely loved it. I had so much fun watching this episode. The challenges weren't all that much cop. I thought the Street Fighter Challenge was actually was, was great. The Aladdin Challenge... It was it wasn't that much cops to be honest. It was, they weren't particularly great at the game. It wasn't particularly great challenge. Sonic Blast Man's a lot of fun. Street Fighter Two was was a lot of fun. The feature I loved because it was really well. What can we go around and film? Well, we'll film Dex eating a burger. Any reason? Well, no. I mean, it's here, so we'll just have him eat a burger. Do we want to put it in the edit? 
may as well. He could do an American accent. You'd never tell by this segment, but he can do an American accent. <laughs> yeah. What happened to his American accent? He did it for years, and then here it's 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 awful. I mean, it's sitting there in the rushes. We may as well use it. <laughs> we'll just fill the time with that. Yeah, but it's, it makes no sense. Doesn't matter. We filmed it. Pop it in. And I loved all of that. The uh, like my biggest criticism I have against this episode is completely gut that uh, that consultation tone because I'll be honest, I thought I thought it was shit. I thought the consultation was pretty shit this week. Two hints there are uh, not much cop, and then one we've had already. I'd have just completely got rid of it or just save it for the next episode. But what I will say about this is that when I started watching episode eleven, I was almost disappointed they were just back in the studio, the studio set as as what it was. I wanted to be at Games Master Live again because I really, really enjoyed it. As energetic as season three has been so far, episode 10 is a high bar, despite the fact that, yes, the consultation zone was a wet part in this episode. Because of the uniqueness of the episode, the energy of the episode, and the sheer unbridled chaos from start to finish, I'm going 96%. Whoa! I mean, I, w- I was going 90s, but I didn't think I was going to go that big. Because it's unique. We've never had an episode like this before. We will never have an episode like this again. I don't think I've ever seen a TV show capture the raw, chaotic energy and the enthusiasm of that era of games fan. Yeah. That was a snapshot no, in time. Right. Games Master Live 92 looked boring by comparison when they showed it but this looked like fun and it made both of us want to go to events again it it actually takes a lot for me to want to go to somewhere and be surrounded by thousands of people again and this show did it yeah i mean i i thought at first you were a madman by going at 96 percent but i've actually had so much fun with this ep- like not just watching this episode but doing this episode doing this podcast record has been an absolute blast I feel like I've got to go into a similar ballpark, to be honest. I was actually thinking, I was going to say 93 for Games Master Live 93. But you know what? Fuck it. I'm going 96% as well. This episode was brilliant. We may have had our musical differences. I may really be questioning your Christmas dessert choices. But <laughs> but we're back on the same page. We're back on the same page on this one. Ah. Oh reunited and it feels so good thank you very much for listening um if you want to give us a rating and a review on apple podcast please feel free to do so and subscribe wherever you are listening you can find us on social media on twitter at under console pod on instagram at under dot console and you can get in touch with us feedback at underconsultation.com. and if you want a bit of real-time interaction you want to talk to us as people as opposed to what else i don't know i'm tired at this point <laughs> been a long recording session and we've gone two hours at this point but either way you can join us on our discord where the topic of conversation at the moment is about you luke basically destroying our friendship via your musical tastes and christmas dessert <laughs> tastes and someone has brought up the elephant in the room of gladiator but it turns out you're not alone as at least one of the occupants of our discord apparently fell asleep watching gladiator yeah it's so fine it's a it's an okay movie. It's a good film. Apparently, this now makes you team not entertained. <laughs> if you want to support this podcast monetarily, you can do so over at patreon.com forward slash under console pod. And at the five pound level, you'll get next week's episode one week early and ad free. And at the 10 pound level, you get a little bit extra. What do they get, Ash? At the 10 pound level, you get a mug, you get stickers, you get badges, you get retro sweeties, you get power rangers trading cards from 1994 
and you get £5 off of our first t-shirt, which can be bought along with other mugs, other stickers, other badges at underconsultation.com. And a shout out to those £10 backers, Misha, William, Gordon, Rich, Adam, Cliff, Adam, Sean, Nick, Simon, Phil, Matt, Jamie, Robert, Zach and Colin. Thank you all so much for listening. Thank you to each and every single person who's clicked the little download button on this. We appreciate you all so, so much. And we will see you in seven days time when we're returning back to the Games Master Academy. Take care, everyone. Good night. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Did you know cats tend to hide symptoms of sickness and pain? I learned this the hard way after losing my cat, Gingy. So I created Pretty Litter, a health monitoring litter that helps detect early signs of illness by changing colors, saving you money and potentially your cat's life. Pretty Litter is veterinary and developed, and it's the easiest way to keep tabs on your fur baby's health right at home. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. Hey, it's Paige DeSorbo from Giggly Squad. High quality fashion without the price tag. Say hello to Quince. I'm snagging high-end essentials like cozy cashmere sweaters, sleek leather jackets, fine jewelry, and so much more. With Quince being 50 to 80% less than similar brands. And they partner with factories that prioritize safe, ethical, and responsible manufacturing. I love that. Luxury quality within reach. Go to quince.com slash style to get free shipping and 365-day returns on your next order. Quince.com slash style.